Blog Talk Radio. So don't you will you come? 
is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
come, my friend, to the white daughter and son. Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave.
have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard. You liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. Oh, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Move on the 18th day of February 2024. Under the banner, Africa and the illusion of freedom. We will discuss this topic and more as we continue to go down this road of liberation. We welcome you back. And like always, we're in the seat that we're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we do the best to give you what you need. And to carry out those orders for this evening, we have with us our political panelists and analysts for today's program, and we would like to first and foremost welcome them to Africa on the Move. We will bring in Brother Anthony, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony, to Africa on the Move. He's the organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Following Brother Anthony, we now will bring in Brother Haki. He's a member and organizer for the African Awareness Association. 
We'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, <coughs> thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafa Mishoki. I'm currently with African Awareness. And, of course, Brother Africa, you know, my thing is all about, you know, institution building. But I got to say, Brother Africa, uh, one of the things, you know, that I think is key in terms of we, we begin to understand, that's an, a tremendous amount of destruction uh, implicit in U.S. U.S. foreign policy. And this destruction, even though it's just they attempt to justify it, the reality is that it's quite um, uh, counterproductive as relates to the expansion of capitalism. So one has to ask the question, so what is the real motivation behind so much destruction in the world? In particular, destruction as relates to Africa and the Middle East. So I read an article which I thought was very interested in, so I thought I'd respond to that, and I think this will provide some clarity in terms of this whole uh, <clears throat> propensity uh, to inflict uh, destruction on the world and its people. <clears throat> now, destruction imposed upon the world, be it economic or political, by Western states goes back centuries. Two of the world's regions most negatively impacted by Western excursions have been Africa and the Middle East. In the case of Africa, the process of fomenting destruction to both peoples and economies started with the birth excuse me, uh, Barbary Wars in the years 1805 to 1815. Wars essentially fought over piracy culminated in a visceral dislike of Africans and all things uncivilized. Western perception of an uncivilized world, excluding themselves, of course, ultimately manifested in international trade policies in which the same barbarism <clears throat> allegedly practiced by North African Berbers will be employed by Western states under the guise of an enlightened economic policy. Their policy would divide Africa into spheres of influence among Western states in which Africa would be carved into pieces where colonization, be subjugation, or exploitation could be practiced based upon the particular Western states' view of maintaining discipline in the emerging colonies. This particular policy, the brainchild of the Berlin Conference in the year 1884 to 1885, would dispense with any pretense of humanity where the only objective was to plunder and steal Africa's resources for the benefit of wealthy Westerners. Now, the levels of brutality employed against Africans saw 80 to 70 to 80 million African deaths during the Atlantic slave trade. But like all brutal endeavors, parameters of the pain inflicted tend to exceed all boundaries, eventually affecting the practitioners of that violence. In fact, Adam Hochschild estimates over 10 million Western colonialists lost their lives fighting each other to increase territory or, and take over colonies already established. Such conflicts raged until 1944 when the realization such destruction of Western lives were distracting from the common pursuit of colonizing Africa, a, con a continent of 12 million square miles. By 1944, the Bretton Woods Conference was convened to essentially streamline colonialism, making it more e effective in its application. Conflict among Western colonial elites would be resolved by the use of monetary instruments that ensures a transfer of wealth, irrespective of the size of the colonial country or the amount of resources extracted from said colonies. This process would employ stock markets and evaluation of stocks to compensate Western economies whose access to quantity and quality of raw resources might not be on par with, with other colonial outposts. In addition, the establishment of the IMF, International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank would establish value of Western currencies Establishment to the evaluation of Western currencies, uh, uh, not only, excuse me, 
All right, let me let me back up here, brother Africa. Okay, all right now. Now the the, the, the value of Western currencies are not are not were evaluated in such a way in which they were not extreme. In other words, they want to create a situation in which the trade was relatively very efficient, and by ensuring that no one <clears throat> that no one prospered greatly at the expense of others, uh, we there was a real benefit in terms of the the evaluation of Western currencies. Of course, when we talk about Western currencies, we, we have to keep in mind that when we talk about that process, Africa was excluded from that process. All right. Now, okay, now the IMF World Bank, was, as I mentioned earlier, was subsidized you know, by African colonists to the detriment of African lives. Now, it should be noted, strategies employed to maintain a whole of African economies does not solely entail economic policy of IMF, World Bank, Central Bank, or trade policies, but relies on African leaders actively participating in their own oppression. Centuries of colonial subjugation does play a part in the unconscious willingness of many African leaders to embrace unjust and inhumane conditions of its people. But it would be, but it would be disingenuous not to note Western um, machinations to augment such psychological dispositions of, many, too, of too many African leaders. Currently, U.S. foreign policy and Africa uses military intelligence units called AFRICOM inside Africa to identify corrupt leaders prop up African dictators and finance Af uh, coup leaders aligned with Western, with Western interests. Interestingly enough, none of the tens of millions of African deaths since 2001 or these imperial strategies promote economic markets that capitalism always espouses. In fact, these strategies destroy markets because the poor in Africa, and certainly those who are deceased, cannot consume commodities. What these strategies of imperialism do achieve is the wanton destruction of African lives. Perhaps this is the intended purpose. Now, in the case of the Middle East, since President Bush initiated his global war on terror in 2001, the impact on the Middle East has been devastating. From fomenting proxy wars between Iraq and, and Kuwait, Iraq and Iran, to military occupation and self-asserting oil by military outposts, to military incursions into Yemen with the acceleration of fighting alongside Israeli troops, all all, all this illustrates the same imperial refrain by innovating more effective ma militarism and propaganda to conceal the brutal misdeeds of imperial military intervention in the Middle East and its continuation of carnage, which continues unabated in the 21st century. First, targeting Af Afghanistan under the erroneous belief Afghanistan carried out the World Trade Center bombing, which has been debunked on numerous occasions. Most of the excuse me, participants of the 9-11 were identified as soy. Even in this regard, pictures and names of purported participants of 9-11 have been attempting to sue the U.S. for using their facial likeness and names as terrorists. Just why Saudi Arabia was not attacked for 9-11 is reason of conjecture, but it cannot be dismissed. Saudi Arabia U.S. deals supported the petrodollar, that is, oil traded in dollars, may have been a factor, not to mention disruption of oil markets costing Western capitalists billions upon billions of dollars. Now, the ensuing deaths of over 2 million Afghan soldiers, 70,000 civilians and over 7,500 U.S. soldiers, contractors, and allied troops collectively should have been sufficient enough to alter U.S. foreign policy. Just two years after invading Afghanistan, concerns about an effective Afghan counterinsurgency by Afghans and Afghanistan defeat of Russia military were summarily dismissed by U.S. government officials. Instead of exercising caution or abandoning killing as a default position, U.S. officials decided to bomb Iraq. Express purpose for the massive bombing campaign was Saddam Hussein was a tyrant. Hussein was a tyrant, but he was America's tyrant. Willing to carry out U.S. objectives in the rain, 
Saddam Hussein set out a favor with the U.S. by threatening to abandon the U.S. dollar for trade. For that reason, approximately 316,000 Iraqi civilians lost their lives, lives needlessly. Now, without a doubt, the level of callousness embedded in U.S. foreign policy is impossible to dismiss. Setting aside $2 trillion a year to fund NATO, the indifference of human life even manifests in, in, in humanitarian missions and financial brutal regimes. In the case of the Palestinians, the brutal bombardment by the U.S. surrogate, Israel, has resulted in deaths of over 27,000 civilians and counting, disproportionately children. Israel, a European project, has been a recipient of U.S. military aid since 1948, totaling over a trillion dollars in military spending alone. Devastations inflicted on Palestinian people have increased in intensity, and despite calls from the International Criminal Court and the international community to cease its genocidal actions, Israeli officials remain, they are resolute in their desire to carry out genocidal processes, eliminating Palestinians from their land. U.S. Congress responds to the Zionist declaration. Well, more military aid in the form of $14.5 billion, despite ailing U.S. economy. If this is not an indication of U.S. support for genocide against Palestinians, uh, Western motivations are equally murky. European agencies have committed to cutting off humanitarian aid for Palestinians first in an attempt to weaken their resolve to resist. In fact, President Biden recently advocated for more military spending for Israel while cutting funding for Palestinian assistance with the UNRWA program in the UN. And in view of the unprecedented level of oppression and brutality inflicted upon Palestinians, it is hard to contemplate but when the evils of Zionism cripples the future of the Palestinian children, such evils must be addressed. In an attempt to ameliorate the, the devastation befalling Palestinian people or children, the UN has set up agencies to deal specifically with trauma inflicted on children in times of crisis. One such U.S. agency, the UN Relief Works, Works Project, the UNRWA, has been providing education and social services for Palestinian children. Unfortunately, the U.S. has blocked funding for the agency because of Zionist allegations. Some members of the U.N. agency assisted Hamas and getting around Israeli surveillance and making kidnapping of Israelis possible. Such allegations seem fanciful given Hamas works in secrecy according to Mossad, the Israel Intelligence Agency. For Hamas to reveal itself seems counterintuitive and dangerous. However, in the world of U.S. foreign policy, logic is irrelevant. What is irrelevant is the benefits of destruction to send a message to the press throughout the world. With that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. We will make our transition to Brother Robert Moses with a member of the uh, Metro Co DC Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. Welcome to Africa on the Moon, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism, during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And uh, the struggle continues to be to unite the many, to defeat the few. 
the struggle is to be fought on all fronts, using truth as our weapon, and all lies can only be used against us. And uh, we must struggle and not mimic the enemy in any form, shape, or fashion. We must struggle in a tit-for-tat struggle against fascism, all forces, democratic, socialist, and communist forces must unite against fascism. This is the struggle, and I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we go to Sister Eleanor Johnson, who is also a member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution. We welcome Sister Eleanor to Africa on the Move. Thank you. Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. My name is Eleanor Johnson. I'm delighted that you've invited me to be on the show this month. I want everyone uh, around the world to know that this is Black History Month in the United States, the month of February. It's a leap year. And that uh, Carter G. Woodson uh, founded it, uh, founded Black History Month. He actually started out with Negro History Week in 1929, and it has evolved to uh, Black History Month. Uh, I've been thinking about uh, one thing, and that was listening to Brother Haki when he talked about uh, the Palestinian genocide that we're uh, witnessing, I was thinking of 1967 when the USS Liberty was in the Mediterranean Sea and the carnage, and uh, no one knew who attacked the USS Liberty, but it was Israel. Israel attacked an American naval ship, and the number of people that died and the carnage. And uh, Lyndon Bain Johnson, uh, for political reasons, could never acknowledge it or speak about it. And uh, it was a a true atrocity, the USS Liberty. And uh, many say that's when Israel attacked America. And out of that situation, our solidarity with Israel grew even more. I find that an interesting phenomena. And uh, I think of all the naval troops that lost their lives and the atrocity. And it was the first time uh, that napalm was used. And uh, it, uh, it was an amazing phenomenon. But thank you so much for having me on the show this evening. And I look forward to another enlightening, informative show. Thank you so much. We thank you, Sister Eleanor, as always, for the contributions that you bring to this program. You are listening to Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa, your host. As we said, we will speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, We want to invite you to join us as we discuss what's going on in your world and the community. And you can do that by calling in at 323 
679-0841. Hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So we're going to take this welcome to a culture break, and when we come back, we will find out what's going on in your world and the community. This is Africa on the Move.
spread the word, help us increase our listenership by sending these programs out to your friends or your network. If you would like to have a copy of this program or other program, just email us at at, at AfricaOnTheMoon at gmail.com. AfricaOnTheMoon2 at gmail.com. So those are our little few announcements. We thank you for listening. And at this point in time, we're going to move into our segment, What's Going On in Your World and the Community. We'll start off with Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world, Brother Anthony, and the community? Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Uh, thanks, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, what's going on in, uh, in my world and community? Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I, um, workers of the world are being pitted against each other over uh, over uh, uh, the deception put forth by imperialism. That uh, that uh, that. Uh, they uh their uh their exploitation is due to uh due, due to uh workers uh coming from outside the US it is not true uh imperialism operates on a worldwide scale and uh let's see and uh workers are being pitted against each other uh to advance the economic interests of the uh of the ruling bourgeoisie and uh and uh workers are are slowly becoming aware of this that they are uh that they, that there's a game being run against them that uh, you know uh takes advantage of their poverty lack of resources uh lack of education uh to further uh to perpetuate their exploitation and that uh and that uh the capitalist forces of the world are uh are making uh living conditions uh so horrible that people will do anything to free to flee to the metropolitan uh countries capitalist countries where they believe the uh living conditions will be better and uh and uh we, we uh let's see uh the job of activists is to organize and politically educate our people so they do not fall for the uh lies of uh imperialists. Thank you, Brother Edmund. We're sharing with us what's going on in your world and the community. We now will go to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Haki. Brother Africa. Well, Brother Africa, the uh, the paradox of the society is a uh, is a very interesting one. One of the things you know that's very interesting is how much we talk about how free we are, but the reality is that 
we don't, we're not even free to receive some kind of information. Recently, there was a uh, former IRS contractor who was sentenced to five years in prison, and I just want you to listen to this, and this is very, very brief. But I think it's important that we acknowledge, you know, this, 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 this brother's Charles Littlejohn contribution in terms of, you know, uh, people's understanding of just how bankrupt, just how corrupt the system really is. Now, the former Internal Revenue Service contractor, Charles Littlejohn, was sentenced to the maximum prison term allowed, five years in prison. The alleged crime, he leaked information on the tax liabilities of the wealthy, including Jeff Bezos, Michael Bloomberg, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, and, of course, Donald Trump. Presiding Judge Anna Reyes ruled that Little John's release of Trump's files uh, is, quote, an attack on our constitutional democracy, end quote. But, but such a proclamation seems inconsistent with the free flow of information, which is vital to democracy. In other words, when privacy concerns on corporate or wealthy taxes exceed public's right to know, uh, corruption inevitably becomes a, a defining aspect of that republic. In the case of Trump, who historically fought, who historically fought total disclosure of his taxes, there is an even more compelling reason to, to, to publish taxes he paid or did not pay. As a presidential contender, character should play an oversized role in casting votes for the leadership of the republic. In Trump's case, the correlation between self-interest and the good of society have leaned definitively towards self-interest above all else. Tax avoidance by Trump, while not unusual among the wealthy and, and of course sanctioned by law, has revealed a unique affinity as it pertains to Trump's obsession with avoiding taxes. In fact, according to the New York Times, Trump paid no federal taxes between for 11 out of 18 years. And at the time of his election in 2016, he paid only $750 in taxes. $750 in taxes for a billionaire. In lieu of the systematic evasion uh, of federal taxes, what possibly could be the benefits of elevating someone to the highest office in the land that personified greed and excess in the midst of societal decay? Trump and his ilk currently pay on an effective tax rate, <laughs> the effective mean after investment taxes or deductions, of just 0.5 tenths of 1%, or a marginal tax rate of 8%, which is before taxes, which is misleading. Together, they combine to create economic hardship for society while greatly contributing to economic disparities resulting in further polarization. Mr. Littlejohn's heroic actions by releasing the tax returns empowers the citizen, citizenry to better understand the innate inequality of U.S. society while providing a glimpse into immorality of capitalism, which threatens us all, planet included. With that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we make a transition to Brother Moses. Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and the community? Are you with us, Brother Moses? Okay, while we wait for Brother Moses to get himself together, let's go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Sister Eleanor. Are you there, Sister Eleanor? I guess we have some problems with Sister Eleanor, Brother Moses. Can you hear me? Okay, we can move forward. This Hello? Time. Hello? Yes, can you hear me? Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours. Yeah, we have some problems with Sister Eleanor communications. And Brother Moses, can you hear us? We have some technical problems with Brother Moses. So what we're going to do is they can come back 
But like always, they said the show must continue. We're going to continue to move forward. What we're going to do at this particular time, we're going to take a quick section break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss the theme tonight, Africa and the illusion of freedom. You are listening to Brother Africa, and this is Africa on the Move. We'll be right back. Today we'll talk about Africa, once seen by Europe as the antithesis of civilization, the heart of darkness in the words of a certain Joseph Conrad. Centuries later, Africa remains ignored. It makes news for its conflicts, poverty and exoticism. For the longest time, the world saw it as a lost cause. Then one country saw opportunity and thus began a new race for Africa, not very different from the scramble of the 19th century when colonial Britain and France wanted raw materials, slaves and geopolitical influence. Now in the 21st century, global powers are in more or less the same race. China, the United States, India, the European Union, Japan, Israel, Canada, all of these countries are in the race for Africa. And one country is emerging as the clear winner. Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharmaupadhyay and this is Africa, a continent of 54 sovereign states, 17% of the world's population, 9.6% of the global oil output, 90% of the world's platinum supply, 90% of the world's cobalt supply, half of the world's gold supply, two-thirds of the world's manganese, 35% of the world's uranium, 75% of the world's coltan, and 54 votes in the United Nations General Assembly. This is what makes Africa so attractive and makes the continent a battleground for global powers. There are numerous fronts, investment and infrastructure, military power, diplomacy, soft power, trade, geopolitics. Every country has its own interest in Africa. In 2016, Israel began its scramble for the continent. Benjamin Netanyahu became the first Israeli prime minister to visit Africa in 50 years. What did he want? Votes. In favor of Israel and against Palestine in the United Nations resolutions. Africa and Israel share similar histories, he said. Israel went on to sponsor solar, water and agricultural technologies. In the same year, 2016, Senegal co-sponsored a UN resolution. It condemned the construction of illegal Jewish settlements in the West Bank. What did Israel do? It cancelled the Mashav drip irrigation project. And this is just one example. Here's another one. The European Union has pledged more than $54 billion in sustainable investment for Africa. What does the EU want? Access to the African market of 1.3 billion people. Brussels has negotiated free trade agreements with at least 40 African countries. But does this ensure a balanced two-way trade? It doesn't. And no country has a bigger interest in Africa than China. China is funding one in five infrastructure projects in Africa. It is building every third one. Africa has an infrastructure deficit and China has a signed checkbook. Starting 2005, China has invested at least $2 trillion in Africa. It built 6,200 kilometers of railways, including the continent's longest railway line connecting Ethiopia and Djibouti. Beijing has also built the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. What does China get in return? A lot. Geopolitical influence to start with. Beijing is selling its culture, its currency. In Guinea-Bissau, exit signs are written in Mandarin. China has established at least 
50 Confucius Institutes across 33 countries. Several African countries use Chinese currency. China also gets a strategic overseas base. In 2017, China built its first overseas base at the Horn of Africa, Djibouti to be specific. Djibouti connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Suez Canal. The base has the capacity to accommodate 10,000 troops. China also gets a market to dump its goods. China is Africa's largest trading partner. Chinese trade has increased 40-fold in the last two decades. At least 10,000 Chinese firms operate in Africa. This is according to a McKinsey study. Africa has resources and China has access. Did you know that a third of China's investments in Africa are in the mining sector? And finally, it gets to debt trap Africa. But here's the thing. China is not the only country investing in this continent. It's not even the biggest. The United States is Africa's largest investor. It accounts for $54 billion of FDI stock. There are 600 American companies operating in South Africa alone. And this, even after the U.S. president called Africa this. For the longest time, Africa was nothing but a war zone for Washington. It has over 7,000 troops deployed in the continent. They are spread across some 13 African countries, including Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Libya, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, South Sudan, Somalia, and Tunisia. For the U.S., Africa was a continent for counter-terrorism operations. What happened then? Why is the U.S. suddenly interested in Africa? The answer is this. For the U.S., Africa is now a new front to take on China, and Washington is now fighting it out for power and influence. An article on the U.S. State Department website reads, and I quote, Africa is the continent of the future. Thus, we need to make the most of its potential. By 2050, its population will more than double to 2.2 billion people with over 60% under the age of 25. Where is Africa's interest in all of this? Also, what about India? What role does India play in this continent? New Delhi's ties with Africa date back to the time of Mahatma Gandhi. India was part of the Bandung Project of 1955. New Delhi supported Africa's anti-colonial struggles. It supported the liberalization movements in Ghana, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau. India also raised the issue of racism in South Africa. It will be unfair to say, though, that India's newfound interest in Africa has nothing to do with China. In 2018, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi toured key African states just ahead of Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit. In 2018, India decided to open 18 new embassies in Africa. India has defense partnerships with Zambia, Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Botswana, Uganda, Mozambique and Namibia. New Delhi is currently training African military. Indian company Airtel is a dominant telecom firm in Africa. New Delhi is offering 50,000 scholarships to African students. Despite everything, India is far behind China in the race for Africa. China's Belt and Road Initiative has sealed its hold on Africa. If in the 1900s Africa was colonized with force, in 2020, it is being trapped by loans. China accounts for 14% of sub-Saharan debt. In Kenya, the volume of Chinese loans is six times that of France, which is the country's second largest creditor. And Sri Lanka can tell you what happens when Chinese loans are not repaid. China is looking to capture Africa. It has a strong diaspora. It is spending big money. It is selling its movies, culture and currency. China extracts raw materials. It manufactures products with them and sells them back to this continent. Does this remind you of something? What did the British do in India? In the 19th century, the rivalry between Britain and France fueled Africa's colonization. 
in the 21st century, the trade war between the United States and China is hastening the same. Just like the 19th century, there are numerous countries in the scramble for Africa. And just like the 19th century, there is nothing in it for Africa. Gravitas Plus, co-presented by... A negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or Europeans you will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. You have just heard two clippings from the YouTube channel titled The Race for Africa. And Walter Rodney speaks on identity. We'd like to thank those content providers for doing an excellent job. If you get a chance, please check out that information. That works uh, excellent. Now, we do qualify ourselves in terms of playing clippings. We don't may, we may not necessarily, but we were everything in clippings, but we're going to give you information so you can thank. <coughs> so, excuse me. So on that note, as the backdrop to our theme tonight, Africa and the illusion of freedom, I'd like to start off with this quote by Kwame Nkrumah. <clears throat> Excuse me, when he stated, how can there be a nation without political power? It is a contradiction in terms. The black nation can only come into existence when Africa is totally free 
and the all African Union government has been formed. When the black man and woman is master in his own house, we give you this particular quote and information in the context of having this discussion, Africa and the illusion of freedom. There were two particular videos we will critique and discuss in this context of the theme tonight. The collapse of French imperialism in Africa and protesters in DRC have set fire on the French and British embassies while demanding them to leave. We raise the question. We speak truth to power and the powerless. Let's come out of these dreams to deal with this reality of Africa and illusion of freedom. We'll start out with you, Brother Anthony. Set the tone. When we look at this particular video, the class of French imperialism in Africa, <laughs> it raises many contradictions in terms of, as Nkrumah stated in 58, a kind of independence, and 63, the founding of the Organization of African Unity, let, unless all the Africans free, no nation will be free. In this particular documentary, the collapse of France imperialism in Africa, it raises many contradictions in terms of the reality of Africa, in terms of its oppression and this whole concept of illusion of freedom. Can you speak to this issue of illusion of freedom, looking at the real reality of what Africa is confronting? based upon this documentary and your understanding of the present reality of Africa today. Brother Anthony, your response. Yes, certainly. Um, based upon uh, 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 the, uh, the, the documentary and uh, what, I, uh, what uh, I know of African history, um what the second uh uh world war weakened capitalism worldwide with the exception of u of the u s uh the u s uh was the uh was the uh was the only capitalist country did not uh that 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 was uh that uh, that emerged intact uh, from the uh, uh, from the Second World War, and uh, the result of uh, one result of the imperialist war that it weakened the capitalist countries throughout the world, so that they can no longer hold on to the colonies militarily and they devised a new tactic called sham independence uh which they gave uh, uh they gave um uh, uh you know uh independence uh to the uh, to the to the various colonies throughout Asia, Africa, and um, but 
it was a sham because they they uh through treaties, loans, agreements etc they were able to maintain economic control of the resources of these uh, countries. As a result, uh, Africa was confronted with uh, uh, sham independence and neocolonialism because one of the things the capitalists did was they tried to create a uh, a, a bourgeoisie in uh, in their uh, in their former colonies. However, that didn't work uh, because the the bourgeoisies were not strong enough uh, to dominate. Uh, or had the resources to dominate, uh, to take control of the nation's economies. So you, uh, so you had, uh, uh, so the the governments uh, started serving the uh, uh, as the capitalists in these countries. And uh, the uh, the petty uh, the bourgeoisie in these countries was very weak, and uh, that uh, and that resulted in uh, in uh, in the collapse of um, or weakening of imperialist domination in uh, in Africa. And uh, the uh, and uh, the exploitation of Africa's resources and people became more brutal over time, and uh, and uh, it was uh, uh, it was so brutal that uh, that the workers uh, got tired of it. And uh, they uh, they uh, they ultimately rebelled against uh, all forms of imperialism, particularly French imperialism. And uh, because uh, it was the most blatant in in terms of exploitation of Africa and its resources and its people. And uh, this uh, this caused uh, the fall of French imperialism in the Sahel region, uh, which is uh, Mali, uh, Chad, uh, Niger, and Burkina Faso, in particular. But. Uh, it signaled the fall of French imperialism throughout Africa generally, uh, in particular those areas. And again, uh, the puppets they 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 tried to prop up could not uh, did not have the resources necessary to stay in power. And uh, and 
and uh, the working class and peasantry in Africa uh, 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 rose up and and uh, rebelled against the uh, conditions un- under which Africa uh, on which they found themselves. And uh, let's see, and right now, Africa is in the process of trying to emerge out of uh, neocolonialism. In the process, it's still going on, uh, but it's going to take Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, uh, to uh, to bring it to its logical conclusion, and the exploit the end of exploitation of Africans uh, once and for all. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Brother Haki. When you look at this documentary, the collapse of French imperialism in Africa. It is clear to me when we talk about Africa and the illusion of freedom, well, and Kuma stated that how can there be a nation without political power and this issue of the black man and woman is not a master in his own home or in their own house. Can you extrapolate this whole question of this illusion of freedom looking at the conditions of our people, whereas when we look at them economically, the French has been able, for some reason or another, Brother Haki, and you can extrapolate from your point of view, how do you maintain a $5 billion in debt for enslaving people and make it so they have to pay every year ever since they were colonized? How can you talk about being free, Brother Haki, where you have no political power to dictate and govern the kind of policies and things that you want? So just speak on your perception of this question, illusion of freedom in Africa, why this is a true or untrue statement. Brother Haki, the mic is yours. <clears throat> well, you know, one of the things, you know, uh, the, 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 the previous nations understand is that certainly without political power, there is no, no adequate nat- uh, nation, and they understand that. And so the whole point is to, to ensure that Africa is disempowered. Uh, one of the things specifically when we talk about in terms of French, French colonization of, of, of those Africans, 14 African states, one of the things we have to take into consideration is the whole cooperation agreements that exist, you know, between France and, and, uh, and, um, and, um, and, um, and uh, African states. Uh, one of the things that when we, when we talk about in terms of these corporate, co- excuse me, cooperation agreements, essentially what we're talking about is that these Western corporations, or particularly these Western French corporations, are in a strategic position to not only make decisions in terms of how, how, the, how, the, how those countries should be run, but in a situation where contractually, if, in, in they, whatever they want has to be done. It's by, contract, it's by contract. And so, therefore, when you have that kind of contractual agreement where the imperialist nature can simply define what is in its best interest to the exclusion of the nation at large, then you have a situation where not only do you have imperialist, imperialist policies firmly embedded, 
but you have essentially a, a, a state that functions as something other than a state. So you have a nation that functions as something other than a nation, because the fact that what they're doing is they're, they're rendering uh, the, 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 the nation state of Africa, the nation states in Africa, essentially powerless. And so that is a fundamental problem. Also, I think one of the things, you know, we, we got to keep in mind, you know, when we talk about in French imperialism specifically, we talk about continuation of, uh, of colonialism. We have to ask ourselves, why is in the 21st century this con- why the continuation of, 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 of imperialism in African society? Uh, well, one of the things, uh, there are quite a, quite a number of factors, but certainly, as I alluded to earlier, when we talk about the treaties, the treaties in terms of stability clauses, which says that if these that if African states take any actions that these foreign corporate corporations don't agree with, they could be sued in court. And of course, if they, in the course, if the African states resist, then it comes a, a military question for the colonial powers, in which they simply take a military military come to Africa and simply take over. Uh, so clearly, those, those that kind of issue is very, very problematic in terms of Africa being le- legitimately free. Also, we had to deal a little bit about in terms of the whole political discourse or political dependence of African states. Often, you know, we, we have to keep in mind that when we look at these African leadership and we say, why do these African leaders per- persist in uh, articulating uh, uh, interests that are benefit to the West but never to their people? So what is that all about? Well, we got to understand that strategically, these Western states, in particular France, make a point of making sure that only certain kind of individuals in, in, among African leadership rise to, to, to positions of power. And in that, con- in, that, in, that con- in that context, then we have to understand that a lot of these African leaders uh, in, uh, who, who, who espouse the interests of the West uh, is they're, they're specifically put there to espouse those interests of the West. And so, to, so when it comes to the need of the people, then we got to be very, very clear, you know, that the needs of the people becomes secondary. In reality, it's, not, it's less than secondary. Uh, but the, certainly the, the, the needs of the people are not important. What is, what is important is that providing the interests of Western states. And so clearly we have to understand that. And to that regard, Brother Africa, we have to understand that the ruling class in these African states play a, a, a big role in terms of facilitating imperialism in on the African continent. And so that class issue has to be raised in terms of why imperialism continues in the 21st century. Also, when we talk about the military aspect in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, Western intervention in African states, we keep in mind that not only do you have state state military intervention in terms of, you know, actually coming from countries, but you have missionaries representing those countries uh, who consist of not only just foreign nationals, but also if consists of Africans who live on the continent who participate in these kind of excursions for the sole purpose of ensuring that, you know, that if, that if the African leaders don't stay in line, that the possibility of, of military might is a very real possibility. And so, therefore, this, this, this threat in terms of, you know, being killed or being isolated or being in prison is so, it's so, it's so, it's so, it's so real to African leaders that it does have a chilling effect in which a lot of African leaders are really legitimately scared in terms of in terms of trying to bring about real change in society, now we understand as, as revolutionaries one of the things we have to overcome is the question of fear. There's a very real possibility when you try to bring about change that's going to be some repercussions. Uh, we understand that being killed is part of is part of a part of being revolutionary. Uh, that is a that is a very real possibility. The more effective you are, the more the more likelihood that at some point something's going to happen to you. That's just the just the reality. Remember. Uh, 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 remember the statement by um, 
of the brother uh, out of Bikini uh, Faso, Thomas Sankara. Remember the statement that he made when he when he was encouraging African leaders to not pay the debt that was imposed on them by imperialism. And he stated, quote, if Bikini Faso stands alone refusing to pay that debt, I would not be here at the next conference, end quote. Sadly to say, by next year, Thomas Sankara was dead because what he was advocating was truly empowering and those in, 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 in French and in French and French government in particular, along with his Western cohorts, one uh, were not allowed Thomas Sankara to stand after making such a such a declaration that he's willing in terms of really legitimately fighting, you know, the Western interests, you know, by proclaiming that these illegal debts that imposed upon Africa would not be paid. So clearly being a revolutionary there is a price to pay. Also, I think, but, but, but and I say this and I conclude. You know, I think one of the things you know that we, we also have to include in terms of, in terms of the longevity of colonialism, the whole question in terms of the economics, which is very very key. And keep in mind, foreign exchange. Excuse me. Keep in mind, foreign exchange is very very key in terms of African states in terms of their ability to form in trade. And matter of fact, given the lack of value in terms of African currencies, uh, African, African states are dependent upon foreign currencies just in terms of being able to make trade or even to, to, to secure loans. And so given that background in terms of foreign exchange, if you have a situation like in France where for every, for every, one, for every one eco or every one CIFA, then you get two French francs, then it creates real hardship economically on, 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 on African states and well, in states, in, in terms of trying to conduct trade, for instance, when you have that kind of ratio of two to one, so it becomes much cheaper for France to to import their products into to Africa than it is for Africa to to to, to export its products to France. It becomes extremely difficult simply because you have a two to one ratio in terms of in terms of in, in, in terms of the value of the currency. And keep in mind that doesn't all that doesn't include the interest of, of, affiliated with trade. So clearly, African states are at a disadvantage. But also, I think, Brother Africa, I think you know one of the things is that when we talk about the economic issues that devastate that devastate Africa, we have to understand that you know when we talk about in terms of the ability of printing money, that is key in terms of the strength of your currency. And one of the things, when in, in context of West Africa and Central Africa, you have two central banks: one governing West African states and one governing the, the the Central African states. And so, when you have a situation like that where the gov- where those governments are not independently able to print up their own money, they depend on central banks in terms of creating any money that might actually exist. In that regard, we have to say that those central banks' are obligation is not to those those states, those African states. Their obligation is to the imperial structures that exist. And so, to the extent that pe- the African states continue to persist or play along with this kind of or this kind of arrangement. Then the bottom line is that that's no way feasible for African states to, to, to gain a foothold in terms of economic, you know, uh, uh, viability, as long as you're beholden to, to foreign countries or foreign states in terms of your economic development. And this question in terms of, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, adjusting, you know, adjusting your currency for the strength. I mean, that is key. When you think about a country like the United States, and where they, where, 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 you know, where U.S. is free, Western states generally are free. You know, to to adjust the strength of their currency, they can raise interest rates. They can increase the amount of money in circulation. They can take the money, amount of money in circulation out of. They can impose uh, rules on banks in terms of how much credit will be uh, will be uh, will be allowed, how much credit would not be allowed, and so forth, so on. So all of this has a, a very direct impact in terms of the strength of the of the 
of the currency. The strength of the currency is going to determine whether or not your ability to, to trade, not just uh, in term internationally, but also your ability to trade nationally. In the context of, of in the context of, of African African states that are ruled, ruled by France, uh, even in that regard, uh, it's very very difficult for for, Afri- for for African states who are under the the, the so-called CIFA, who is now the ECO. Even in that regard, it's become very very difficult for them to to initiate trade simply because of the real imbalance that exists when it comes to the strength of their currency. So unless they're able to balance to adjust that that strength, uh, the ability in terms of to facilitate trade becomes very, very difficult to, to achieve. And that's precisely what the imperialist powers want. So unless all this stuff gets addressed, the bottom line is that uh, uh, nothing's going to change. Until African states, African leaders understand that this fight has to be for political power. It has to be. There's no shortcuts. And the path of political power, as Malcolm X used to say, the, the price of freedom is death. There is no way you're going to get around that. The, the bottom line, and we talk with the brothers in, 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 in uh, Guinea, Burkina um, uh, Faso, Mali, Nigeria, we talk about those courageous brothers who are in position of leadership right, right now. Don't think for one second, you know, that uh, the Western powers are not find, trying to find ways not only overthrow them, but, it's, but uh, to kill them, to assassinate them. Don't think for one second that's not going on. That's not happening right now as we speak. But that is part of the price that we pay in terms of freedom. And so one of the things we have to fundamentally understand that political power doesn't come cheap. There are sacrifices that have to be made. To the extent that we're not willing to make those sacrifices politically, then the bottom line is that our enslaved-like status will continue. And so until African leaders come to the realization that, listen, they're really, you know, above all else to be free, the bottom line is that they continue to play ball with the West, which means that the, 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 the subjugation, the, the um, economic mismanagement, uh, the devastation of their economies will continue, and nothing's going to change. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Moses, if you can hear my voice, will you please hit one? Brother Moses, if you can hear my voice, will you please hit one? And Sister Eleanor, if you can hear my voice, also please hit one now. Hit one now. Okay. Let's continue. Going to come back to you, Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, you know, one of the things that came out of this particular documentary as we discussed this issue of as we discuss the issue of Africa and the illusion of freedom, is this question of when France went from colonialism to neocolonialism, one of the key components is, one, what you call the um, create neocolonialism, find the other indigenous people to carry out your orders. And also, the, when you talk about military, you talk about those who are junior rank. A lot of these um, leaders come from the junior ranks of the military but this question of neocolonialism and how that continues to be perpetuated. Can you speak on the importance of neocolonialism in that context, of how a country can maintain control over another country without them physically being there, the impact of neocolonialism? And does that only take place in Africa? Does that take place in other countries and nations where African people live? So the question of neocolonialism and how external enemies can maintain power. Speak to that issue, Brother Anthony, from your perspective. Certainly. Uh, neocolonialism is, uh, is a system of indirect rule. And uh, one of the, uh, one, what the French did 
was uh, when they uh, when they so-called granted uh, their colonies independence, they tried to create a comprador class of yeah. bourgeoisie that would be friendly to their interests. And uh, when uh, uh, they, they succeeded uh, in almost all of their former colonies, except for Guinea, Guinea was the only one that voted no uh, to a cooperation with France. Uh, so, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, France, uh, 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 the, uh, the, uh, submitted, uh, they were subject to severe economic reprisals from France as a result of that decision. And so, uh, so most of the former colonies fell in line and uh and uh voted uh uh to to stay aligned with France. Uh and so uh that's how uh neocolonialism uh works in the case of Africa. Now in, uh, in now neocolonialism is a serious problems it's a serious problem uh, wherever Africans in the diaspora live, uh, because they are they are also played by neocolonialism. In other words, there's a there's a class of uh, of individuals who align their interests with the bourgeoisie. They uh, they don't want to topple the system. They want to become part of the system, and uh, and uh, align their interests with, with with those of the bourgeoisie. Uh, the U.S. is a case in point, and uh, so you have uh, uh, these uh, uh, petty bourgeois elements. That align that uh, share interests with the imperialist forces, and uh, this uh, and this perpetuates the oppression of uh, of the masses of African people worldwide, and that is how uh, uh, to keep it short is how neocolonialism works. It operates through comprador classes that it creates in the societies where it uh, where it once ruled, and it perpetuates a system of indirect rule, in effect, by creating a class of people that share the same interests. As uh, as the enemy does. Thank you, Brother Estes. I believe we got Sister Eleanor back. Sister Eleanor, as you look at the video, the collapse of France in the collapse of France imperialism in Africa. 
Ms. Eleanor, they made a real interesting observation in this documentary where they stated that if we set Africa an illusion of freedom, and we look at also the illusion of freedom in France, because in that documentary, Ms. Eleanor, made, they made the statement that without the foundation of the 14 African countries that they colonized, if they have no longer access to those countries' resources of wealth, France will collapse. They couldn't exist. Can you speak to that point and speak to what you got from that particular uh, video? Since I know, the mic is yours. Brother Africa, they were speaking, the, the, the video spoke to the issue of World War II. After World War II, France was economically destroyed, and the, its wealth depended completely on its African colonies. And uh, the fact that they ran and op- they run and operate the Central African banking system as well as the uh, West African banking system. And uh, they were not only economically dependent on, on, uh, on, on this uh, uh, fake currency or this colonial currency, the CHA, I believe is the acronym for it, but also they were dependent on minerals such as uh, uh, uranium from Niger. And in particular, the countries of the Sahel, Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Niger, those five countries were in particularly underdeveloped purposely by the French. And the fact that they were um, under agreement, under contract, not to trade or trade collectively with Euro countries, Asian countries, or African countries themselves, they were um, therefore impoverished. But at the same time, that poverty created wealth for France. Because as the other analysts said, the euro, even now the euro or the British pound sterling or the uh, U.S. dollar uh, trade at such a greater rate than those CHAs. And so, therefore, uh, France was able to rebuild itself. And I think there was something called the Marshall Plan. And so it laid out four or five uh, very straightforward uh, facts on how this would be done. And they built a petty bourgeois kind of social democracy where some of the uh, wealthy families, like you saw where in, uh, I think it was Burkina Faso, and they have been Mali, where there were 4,000 persons receiving checks as government employees, but never showed up to work. Well, their role was to falsify and go along with the status quo, the French status quo. As long as they did that, they received their checks. And uh, you saw subsistence farming, farmers owning their land, but they're subsistence farmers because their 
trading and using the CFA. For example, if the Africans would have been able to uh, uh, substance products such as rice, if all 14 Francophone countries had been able to just purchase rice collectively from Vietnam or from China or from a country that uh, produces rice as a commodity, uh, they would be so much better off and it would leave, uh, relieve hunger in Africa and those 14 countries. But what you asked me was about, and it was the, um, the French president that got into office in the late 40s or early 50s, Charles de Gaulle, I believe his name was, whom had been in exile in Algeria. And he, uh, uh, he was in exile in Algeria. And when there was the coup d'etat in France, he took office. And he understood that they, from fighting the Algerians later, that they didn't have the military strength to defeat the Africans. So the only way they could do it was through um, economics and through uh, politics, controlling the colonial government, the de facto pending governments that they established, and uh, controlling industry. By doing those two things, it enriched France while marginalizing these African countries and forcing them into the underdevelopment and a lack of uh, ability to trade and form collective uh, bargaining power to bargain collectively. For example, Mali, Niger, and, and Burkina Faso, and Chad, and uh, Mauritania can't trade together, let alone uh, collectively bargain together those five countries with the other twenty, with the other, I believe it is twenty-two Francophone countries. I, uh, I believe they colonized the total of uh, twenty-nine countries, and to this day, still hold on to fourteen that are still using the CFA as a former currency, just not having control over their uh, economy, not having control over uh, the, their, their uh, franc, not being able to produce their own currency, currency, not being able to print their own currency, leaves them at an economic disadvantage. And having the bank the banks controlled by France, um, what we would call, I guess, the uh, uh, um, what is the, in the United States we have the Federal Trade Commission and this kind of thing. Well, instead of these African countries having their only own trade commissions or their own Federal Reserve is what we have. There is no uh, reserve that's controlled by uh, 
the African nations, the Francophone African nations. Instead, the reserve, their currency reserves are controlled by two banking systems, uh, two um, banking systems that are actually one that Brother Haiki had mentioned. And that was the uh, uh, main reason for for the poverty. Uh, it was discussed that uh, the Francophone franc was a two-to-one exchange. So when they were selling to the Europeans, they were getting literally nothing. But on the other hand, since instead of buying rice and um, important staples, commodities from Asian um, um, countries, they were forced to buy it directly from France. It was uh, the inflation rate one minute, was so Donna great. Try to wrap up one minute. So got one minute. Again, the main reason that France was enriched and Africa underdeveloped was because of the banking system being controlled by France as well as the production of all currency being controlled by France in the so-called um, liberation period when France uh, gave these African countries their, quote, independence. They did not give Africa their uh, political independence nor their financial independence. And France continues to control and whole main interest in uh, the uranium banks of, of mines in Niger, as well as other important cobalt in the Congo and other important minerals. Um, the uh, Congo Kinshasa, for example, should be the wealthiest. Twenty seconds, Twenty seconds. But instead, they're impoverished because of colonialism. All right, that's that's it for now. Thank you, Brother Africa. And thank you, my sister. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We have this discussion, Africa and the Illusion of Freedom. If you'd like to um, participate in the discussion, you can call in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Right now, we'll go back to Haki, Brother Haki. Um this documentary titled Protesters in DRC has set fire on the French and the British embassies while demanding them to leave. In that documentary, Brother Haki, they raised a really interesting point, and I'd like you to expand upon it, where it deals with this whole question of illusion of freedom when it comes to Africa and African people. It says that in the Congo, it has the potential to uh, provide electricity for the whole continent and feed the whole continent by itself. Everybody goes in the Congo in the Congo get rich, but yet the African people are still uh, dirt poor. Speak to that phenomenon, Brother Haki. If that doesn't um, explain the reality of uh, lack of freedom, I don't know what is. Speak to the reality of the importance of the Congo, how the rest of the world are benefiting, but yet there's no freedom and development among our people at this stage of their development. Brother Haki, your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's really a composite of all the things we've been talking about in terms of, US, um, in terms of imperialist policy. Uh, you know, one of the things when we talk about the wealth of the Congo, not only are we talking about 
its ability to feed the entire continent, but also its ability to provide energy for the entire world, not just the continent of Africa. So it's a very, it's a very powerful, mineral-rich uh, country. It's, it's probably the most uh, mineral-rich country, uh, country in the world. Uh, but, but you're right. When you talk about in terms of this astounding amount of, of wealth that exists in the country, but you look at the terms of the, the, the poverty level you know, inside of the Congo, then one has to ask just what the hell is going on here. Now, of course, we realize that you know that uh, France imposed a, a a a a you know under under agreement that France imposed a, a 500 uh, billion dollar tax per year on the Congo that it must pay France. Now, this 500 billion dollars is allegedly for for the benefits of of, of of having French colonialism, you know, back in during during colonial during colonization. Uh, that is very interest that is very interesting rationale in terms of 500 billion dollars every year, you know, from you know, uh, this, this notion that somehow that the Congo benefit, I mean, that the Congo benefited from colonialism is 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 really is really is really uh, absurd. Uh, certainly, when you talk about in terms of Prince uh, uh, King Leopold, in terms of the death of you know over 50 million people, the, the ruthless exploitation uh, practices against the African people, and when you talk about the the, the, the impacts of that, you know, existing today. And clearly, when you start talking about five hundred billion dollars a year being given given to you freely, because of you know the kind of abuse that you that you're subjected to, it stretches the imagination of how France could legitimize. More importantly, it stretches the imagination how could the Congolese leadership justify paying five hundred billion dollars to France every year? Now, of course, of course, now we we can't just dismiss the question in terms of poverty. I'm not probably, but the question in terms of corruption. Uh, one of the things there's a tremendous amount of corruption uh, in terms of, you know, uh, willingness, willingness to go along with Western policy because people are getting paid under the table. But just as importantly, I think we can't dismiss this whole notion in terms of uh, the kind of uh, uh, political interference being, you know, stimulated by the West, turned out by African states for the sole purpose in terms of destabilizing uh, the Congo. In particular, when you talk about this rebel group, the M M23, uh, you know this is a, a group of individuals who were previously part of the government structure who broke away because they wanted more representation in the police and military departments. Now, back in 2012, they started fighting, but but they were defeated, but they took a hiatus and they came back in year 2021, and they came back with the systems of the Rwandan military force. And then why this is key in terms of Rwandan military defense force. It's because Rwanda and Uganda particularly uh, have, have want, desperately want to have access to the gold and to the uh, and to the cobalt that exists in the, that exists in 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 the, in in the Congo, and so therefore in that regard they're willing to play ball to destabilize Congo because it's in their economic interest to do so. But keep in mind uh, they are backed by Western states, and so therefore when you talk about the arming M23 rebels. A lot of the armament, the weaponry, the ammunition, all of those things, and the logistics, all of that comes from Western states through Uganda, through Rwanda, and through Uganda. And so clearly, all this is geared toward all this is geared toward the destabilization of of, of the Congo. Uh, so, you know, uh, so when you look at in terms of the overall wealth, we can't we can't uh, we can't eliminate uh, the reality in terms of the political factors that contribute to why Congo is so poor in the 21st century. So without some adequate uh, uh, um, um, attempt to address those systemic issues in terms of the, the politics that impacts um, the Congo, the bottom line is there's no way for Congo to free itself uh, to use minerals, resources, or wealth 
in terms of the benefit of the masses of the Congolese people. Also, uh, clearly, Brother Africa, you know, uh, this is this is this is part and parcel in terms of how colonialism works. And so, the Congo is a criticism example in terms of you know uh, how they how they how they improve work together to undermine the development of a nation African state. All right, thank you, Brother Haki. We have a caller who called in who would like to make a statement or comment on the theme today, Africa and the illusion of freedom. We're going to bring in this caller. Caller, your last four numbers are 4953-4953. Your question or comment, caller. Welcome to Africa on the Move. 4953. Well, I've called this show. show before. My name is Pianchi. And what you're saying about France is absolutely right. Now, the ability, the mechanism, the technology of where those resources can be utilized for the building of the country, they do exist, but you don't have the people that's willing and knowledgeable on their application. And the likelihood would be black Americans, but they just, their kids are just not trained in those avenues. And that there is a handicap. You're absolutely right. There is an illusion of freedom. Does it have to be? Technically, no, but it is. Then we, then when we elect players like Obama, who told Lord Bagbo that he had to step down and make way for Alessandro Quattro, and when the French went in and bombed and tore up the aircraft that they had previously sold, Cote d'Ivoire. That stuff goes on. France is a very, very evil country. They need to be called out. Blacks in America got the ability to call them out, but the, they just ain't in that mindset. Programs like yours is very beneficial, but few people hear them. And when they do hear them, they don't know what they're listening to. Well, anyway, keep hey, up the good work. Brother Bianchi, let me ask you a question, yes. your own opinion. We agree with you about France is a very evil country and what they have done to continue to do Africa. But what about the U.S. and their foreign policy? Aren't they playing the same game? What's your position on that? The U.S. plays the same game like they do with this, this fake nation called Israel. That There's nothing more for the last 48 years or so but a big money laundering process. It's a boomerang. Money goes that way and comes back around behind and goes into the coffers. We know how that works. Blacks just don't have the capability to conquer that right now. At least I don't see that. There's a few, but not enough. Black Americans, that is. I would say the Congo is about 120, 130 years behind the country we live in right now. Does it have to be that way? Can it make strides? South Korea may strive like that in 30 years. Yes, it can, but you got to have dedication and forethought. And we just don't have this. Okay, my brother, you raised an interesting point. We're going to discuss that when we come back from our station break. We'd like to thank you for making your contribution to today's program. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a rubber straight break, and when we come back, we will continue the discussion on Africa and illusion of freedom. This is Africa on the Move. Mm-hmm. 
convention. Talking of your crusades, talking of your nation, and other things too terrible to mention. And you proclaim your Christianity, you proclaim your love of God, you talk of apple pie and mine. I've just got one question, can I want an answer? Tell me, who would Jesus bomb? Cause they're not Jews like him Maybe Jesus would bomb the Afghans On some kind of vengeful whim Maybe Jesus would drive an M1 tank And he would shoot Saddam Who would Jesus bomb? On the TV and on the battleships I've seen you in the house on the hill And I've heard you talking about making the world safer And about all the men you have to kill And you speak so glibly about your civilization And how you have the moral higher ground While halfway around the world Your explosives smash the buildings You could only hear the sound But maybe For his enemies in the lands way over there Maybe Jesus would have flown the plane That killed the kids in Vietnam Who would Jesus bomb? Here you shout with confidence as you praise the Lord And you talk about this God you know so well You talk of Armageddon and your final victory When all the evil forces go to hell Well, you'd best hope you've chosen wisely on the right side of the Lord And when you die, your conscience, it is clear You'd best hope your atom bombs are better than the sword And the time when your reckoning is here in the Bethlehem or jets to raise the towns of Timorese. I don't think Jesus would lend money to dictators or drive those SUVs. I don't think Jesus would ever have dropped a single ounce of napalm. Who would Jesus bomb?
in the diaspora who who have access uh, to uh, the technology can share that information uh, with our brothers and sisters at home Uh, so they they can uh, um, uh, learn this skill as well. Uh, let's see, uh, living in the belly of the beast, uh, you know, so to speak, we have, uh, give, uh, we have cer- uh, certain technological and educational access that, uh, uh, that other, uh, Africans at home and in, and in other parts of the diaspora don't have. 
but uh but if we organized and uh and 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 shared our knowledge as well as resources with our brothers and sisters in other parts of the diaspora and at home that would uh contribute towards uh Africa's liberation which would benefit Africans throughout the world. And okay. uh, so uh, that's a quick response to question. Let's go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your take. We work in Africans play to help the liberation of Africa, African people at home. Sister Eleanor, your response. Well, I think um, the one thing is as uh, – the last analyst said sharing um, knowledge, and 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 the main thing that's holding um, uh, our Africans back on the our fellow Africans back on the continent is the fact that they do not control their national banking system, whether it's called the Federal Reserve or whatever it is, is controlled by France. And so, therefore, they're not able to control the printing and control their economy because they're not controlling their currency. And they have contracts that prohibit them from um, working together as as a unit or as a collective to sell their commodities and uh this is undermining the African economy. I think um, the most important thing the caller mentioned, for example, was in the Congo Kinshasa, just the amount of cobalt would not only furnish the world, but it could light the entire continent of Africa. There could be solar platforms on every corner that would generate enough energy to do a square block radius and folks would be able to light their homes, run their computers, keep their phones going, have their wash machines working, and you would see this sort of thing. Also, um, we need to set up some kind of exchange to work with water purification systems. There's still a great need for um, water, um, pure water in, in parts of Africa. So, um, and also if there were, if people were developing 501c3s and doing this kind of thing, that they work in, in, in uh, do work in Africa and work on economic development, come up, figure out a way that the African Union and uh, various nations begin to trade collectively to find out how to set up a way where that uh, those contracts, you can find the, the uh, loopholes in these contracts and treaties and other things that they can work around it. Also, it would be... Uh, uh, a great thing for us to reflect back on centuries past where the indigenous people 
once again began to set up trade with the Africans as the Africans uh, had done before Columbus. So um, there are so many things that uh, um, can be done and uh, information and um, uh, economic information and education. We can learn so much from um, here in America, in the United States, we can learn so much from our African brothers and sisters who come here because of their entrepreneurial experience that we lack. They can teach us. So um, I see uh, the main thing we need is to, you know, reexamine the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and the interest and and the main thing to enrich Africa, as as uh, Haiti said, is to stop having to pay France for some alleged colonial debt, five hundred billion dollars a year. I don't think you know people learn from each other all the time, but right now we have they they are being oppressed by uh, a French banking system controls the currency of 14 African countries. They're being oppressed by having to pay France uh, 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 ret- uh, uh, $500 billion a year for their losses from not being able to enslave Africa. So, you know, if they can get off of those, just break that banking, French banking system up and uh, stop paying France uh, reparations of some sort. I don't know what it's called by France, but if they could get off of that $500 billion and stop paying it to France and control the currency in Africa, and maybe, you know, it's very productive to have a one currency. You know, like the EU has a common currency um, now. Of course, yeah, of course, the common currency has to be closely managed because you can see it's had a, a horrible impact on the economies of uh, Portugal, Spain, and Greece. But nonetheless, African currency is far superior over a French currency and France operating the central banking centers in Central and West Africa. So, you you know, there's so much we can, you know, with cultural and educational exchange, but the real thing to liberate Africa is stop paying debts and, and reform the banking system and the currency. Thank you, my sister. Let's go back to my brother. Bianca, your position in terms of how do you transfer any kind of technology that you would like to share with your brothers and sisters? How do you think that can be done, Brother Bianca? How can well, you participate from your perspective? You know, we talk about money. Those countries have resources that can be monetized. That's the way you do it. They could print currency for the country of Congo based on 
the backing of minerals that they have in the ground. If they miss a payment with the IMF, the World Bank, what do they do? They come in and take out and resources that which they owe. Now, when you do that, you got to be able to spend the resources or pay your workforce in the country with your national currency. And that's where the problem comes in is you got to start educating and teaching and giving people skills. Industrialists that can build plants and things of that nature. It can be done. You just have to have a will to do it. Then a trade would be between the countries in the Sahel, Southern Africa, Central Africa. You got bigger population there than you have in the United States and the rest of in Europe. Europe is dying. The only reason they don't have more people, they don't have the people. They're dying. They're not having the babies. So no, monetize your currency, monetize your natural resources. United States uh, money is backed on the power of the U.S. military, and that's how they monetize it. In other countries, they do something similar. You don't have to deal with uh, those banks. You produce your own. Anyway, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Brother Haki, one of the things we alluded to was when we talk about Africa and, and, and the countries back home, they don't have the political power to implement policies and make decisions and create infrastructure that will best benefit them. We also know that there is an intellectual pool in Africa that can contribute to their own problems, their own problems back home. My question to you is understanding all these dynamics and looking at the political leadership today, would they allow this kind of transfer of information, these kind of policies to take place, given the fact that most African countries are neocolonials. Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, first let me just address something from earlier, because one of the things I want to do is mis- uh, I want to um, uh, correct a lot of misperceptions in terms of Africa. When we talk about in terms of access to technology or understanding technology, let's be very clear on one point. Uh, there are there are many I mean there are hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of hundreds maybe thousands of people walking around in Africa with technical skills, uh, PhDs, computer science, engineering. I mean who don't have access to jobs because African states don't control their economy, so they're not in a position to employ all these very intelligent people. So the great thing about traveling to Africa is the opportunity to meet a lot of these people in terms of who are on the streets, you know, who are highly qualified, and, and more importantly. I think, you know, aside from that, what we have to understand is that when we talk about the technical technical aspect in terms of understanding technology, let's be very clear on something. Being technical uh, in terms of your acumen is one thing, but when it comes to working within the context of a structural framework, that's another thing. I might be a great great, uh, computer analyst, but it doesn't matter if I work within the context of of an imperialist structure but say that I only can use my skills to do A, B, and C. So let's be very clear on that point. So this notion that somehow that we somehow can be the saviors for, for brothers and sisters on the continent, that's that's rubbish. Africans got skills on the continent. The problem is that you don't have an infrastructure. And the whole point is that, you know, when you talk about not having infrastructure, it all goes to political attitude. One of the things that the brother the brother alluded to, he talked about in terms, you know, in terms of innovating all of these great things, 
to bring Africa into the 21st century. But the problem is that as long as you've got a, a colonial, colonial structure in place and people, African leaders who are willing to participate in that colonial structure, don't think for one second they're going to, they're going to simply support ideas that are re- innovative, progressive, and revolutionary. They're not going to support that. That is the problem. Until we can have revolution on the continent, the bottom line is that irrespective of how educated the people are, irrespective of how much they understand technology, or irrespective in terms of the needs of the continent, none of that stuff is going to come to fruition if the mass of the people don't have, don't have the means in terms of actually realizing that is that, is that which they want to come, to see, come into existence. So let's be very clear on this point, and this, this, this perception that, or this misperception that Africans don't have the technical expertise, it's, so, it's absurd. I mean, some of, the, some of the greatest computer scientists, mathematicians that you want to know, you can find, in, you can find throughout Africa. Places like, in, in, in people, in countries like Ethiopia, Nigeria, uh, Mali, they mass produce brilliance. I mean, it's just a genetic trait. So this notion that they don't have the skills necessary to transform society is rubbish. What they don't have is a political framework which is going to lead them, uh, lead them forward. And the problem is that, brother, Africa, the question that you raised was that you know, long as you got, you, as long as Africa is, is a new colonial project, as long as you got African leaders willing to play ball with the West uh, for, for 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 scraps, then the bottom line is that they have a vested interest in fighting against any revolutionary change that took place on the continent. And so let's be very clear on that point. And so you know, whereas you know, if, if I mean, if if we got the we, you know, and it's another thing. Let me say this real quickly about Africa. Listen, if in fact it comes to a question in terms of sharing your 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 your, your tech, tech technical skills, if it simply was that it was that simple of a question, it seems to me that when you got places like South Africa, places like Ethiopia, places like Nigeria, places like Mali, you got all of these brilliant technicians in which you could simply use uh, to. To, to, to go to different parts of Africa in terms of, you know, teaching that technology. Well, so the question in terms of actually being able to 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 to, to, to use that technology for the advancement of, of, of Africa is not an issue at all. The, te- the, the brain power already exists there. It's simply you don't have a framework in place to do that. And so this is what we've had to fundamentally understand. So it's not a question of in terms of Africans born in the West go to Africa and innovate anything. Africans already there got the skills. A lot of them are educated in the West. They're not just educated you know, in terms of the African universities. A lot of them are educated in the West. You know, so, so let's be very clear on that point. And so this notion that somehow that they are lacking intellectually when it comes to technology, let's put an end to this kind of foolishness because that's not true at all. And if you ever went to Africa, then you know for yourself that's not true. So I just want, wanted to say that. But to answer your question, Brother Africa, uh, you know, until you change the thinking of, of African leaders, until you have more African leaders like the three who are currently in power in Mali, uh, uh, Mali, uh, Burkina Faso, and um, and um, Mali, Burkina Faso, and I forgot the other third country, um, um, Nigeria. Until you ha- until you have more independent thinking African leaders like that who are willing to sacrifice for the good of their people, the bottom line is that they have to work for the context of framework which is designed to under to 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 to, to ensure. They're under development. That's what that's what imperialism, capitalism does. It ensures the underdevelopment of the society. And to the extent that you keep playing ball with that, then you only can anticipate more underdevelopment. So let's be very clear on that point, and I conclude. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Anthony, 
when you do the documentary, protesters in DRC have set fire on the French and British embassies while demanding them to leave. One of the points that were raised, which I thought was really interesting, was this question around when you talk about the French behavior and imperialism, one of the things they value the most the most is to be stable, stabilization, so they can maintain to stay in power. While when it comes to African freedom and liberation, they value destabilization to keep them destabilized. That way they will not be able to acquire that liberation and freedom. So this question of stabilization and destabilization, and one of the ways that's playing out throughout Africa, Congo, and throughout the country is that the West have intentionally created this concept of a war on terrorism when they create terrorist forces for the purpose of them being invited or to be there to help Africans fight terrorism when really they are the ones who are creating it. Can you speak to that dynamic of the game being played as relates to this so-called tactic that is being used against Africa and keep Africa towards its liberation by creating these so-called opposition groups, terrorist groups throughout Africa. And many times they have found out even the UN has played a role in undermining the interest in development of Africa. Will you speak to that phenomenon, Brother Anthony? Yeah. The UN is a tool of imperialism, unfortunately. But it was it, it was created that way. Uh, you know, uh, the UN was created to pre- to prevent a third world war uh, from occurring, and so far it has done that. But uh, but the way it's structured and the way it's set up, it becomes a tool of imperialism. With uh, with uh, you know the Security Council dominated by imperialist countries. Uh, in terms of uh, you know uh, you know uh, uh, you know Africa, uh, you know was uh, uh, you know securing its future, uh, you know for itself and for the benefit of its people. It can only come about through political unification. Even though the problems are economic, the root is ultimately political, and uh, and is also through political transformation, through unification, that Africans, uh, you know, can use the tools they've learned. Under capitalism to build uh, a, a new society and to uh, and to transform and to make the transformations necessary, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, to bring about uh, changes that would uh, benefit Africa and Africans. And not be a drain on uh, 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 on the environment, and it is only through uh, only through Pan Africanism, and that is the total liberation and unification of Africa, 
under a scientific socialist government that this can come about. That's why I said earlier that uh, Africa is in the process of changing. Right now, it is still battling neocolonialism and imperialism in all of its forms. And until that's defeated once and for all, this this struggle will continue. And even afterwards, uh, steps will have to be taken to maintain Africa's liberation. So it is uh, it's an ongoing process that takes place in stages. And right now, Africans are not sufficiently organized to bring uh, to bring uh, you know everything to its logical conclusion, and that is what we have to solve: our disorganization as a people. Once we're organized and unified, then we we, we will be able to achieve pan-Africanism which will bring about the liberation of all African people throughout the world. Okay, to our participants today and our panelists, I'll ask you this last question, and then we'll come back with your final thought as we close out this theme today, Africa and illusion of freedom. One of the major issues that the colonizers have done to us was in 1884, the Berlin Conference, they created these artificial barriers and borders and got us thinking as if we are something different. It's not until Africans throughout the continent see themselves as one and we can fight and think as one and get rid of these artificial barriers, we will continue to have this illusion of freedom and won't be in a stronger position to defeat the enemy. So I'll ask each one of y'all to talk about the necessity to get rid of these loose borders and make it one unified Africa. And in that particular case, we said one unified social Africa. So the question of this border issue, Sister, Sister Eleanor, your response. Well, you know, it's interesting how um, people are hanging on to these uh, colonial bo- borders and boundaries. Um, they talked about, uh, I don't remember whether it was the Hausa, uh, what tribe it was in, in uh, Nigeria that was also uh, uh, part of Niger. So uh, they may, you know, need to re-examine the old ba- uh, colonial boundaries and uh, redraw them. And the fact that, for example, in Cameroon, there are over 200 languages spoken and some 60 in Nigeria. And so, uh, you know, redefining the pre-colonial uh, boundaries is something that would be uh, really uh, important. But nothing, again, can be more important than taking over the central banking system and uh, undermining uh, the neocolonialists. And 
you know, taking control and trying to keep out of the hands of the CIA. And to remember that the UN forces, when they come in, they don't come into Africa, they're in Africa. And the UN forces is an employer in Africa. So once you take over your own production of, uh, of currency, you have your own military rather than these these well-trained soldiers working for the UN, they now work for uh, the African Union. So uh, you you get a different playing field. And um, I I think uh, that's the most important thing. And I as usual, I think the future is bright. For Africa, especially with the cobalt and the uranium, the cobalt of the Congo's Kinshasa, the former Zaire, and the and the way look at how the the colonists before they left the Congo Kinshasa, they just destroyed the buildings and everything built because they felt they they felt they were giving it to the Africans. The Africans build it, and it was their building, their labor, and they should have just thrown them out and not allowed the destruction of so much of the state property in uh, in the capitals and in Kinshasa and the metropolitan areas throughout uh, um, the former Zaire, the and look at this. We have so many Congos now in Africa. So that might be a way of looking at how do they consolidate as a co-op. And uh, we we need to look at the, the five countries that we were focused on tonight. Mauritania, Chad, Niger, Burkina Faso, and... Uh, what was the other one? What was the fifth one? If someone can help me with that. Uh, but we need to look at those countries in the Sahel. And, and right now they are needing to work together because of the drought and the number of environmental refugees that are coming from those countries. Um, not, and also Ethiopia, because there there are other than Francophone countries that are a part of the Sahel, and we need to figure out how we can turn the climatic conditions around in in the region so that so many people aren't forced out of Africa. And as Brother Haiki said, there are the minds and the education is there. What's running Africans out of Africa isn't a search for knowledge. It's a search for for employment and wages. They are the persons that are coming to the United States on H visas because they're nurses, they're doctors, they're scientists, they're they need to stay home. Remember, South Africa during the um, COVID plague was asked uh, Moderna and Pfizer to please, Moderna in particular, 
Let us build our own pharmaceuticals. We have our own pharmaceutical labs here. Just let us produce the vaccine here in Africa. Kenya wanted to do the same thing. I believe it was Ghana. There were several countries that were standing united with South Africa. And we see the power of Africa because no one has stood up for the Palestinians until South Africa took uh, Israel to the Hague and then thousands of people and organizations and other countries stood in solidarity with South Africa in stopping the genocide of the Palestinian people. So um, I think I've covered everything I can cover. I think that the way to economic independence is uh, creating, uh, making sure you have people like uh, PLO, uh, with the um, uh, from Kenya, that that you have these revolutionary leaders that are out there speaking today, put them in political office and let them lead Africa and lead their countries and develop uh, a new currency, the brick or whatever it may be. All right, thank you, my thank sister. You. Brother Anthony, the issues of the borders, a unify Africa, your response. Yes, uh, I think there has to be the political will to unify Africa. And uh, by political, there has to be a willingness uh to uh to uh to unify and get and uh and the necessary eliminate the political boundaries which were agreed upon at the Berlin conference where it serves the interests of uh of imperialism and not the interests of Africa. And uh, Africa was moving towards unification before uh, uh, the European incursion into Africa. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, that was the trend in Africa prior to uh, the... uh, uh the 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 incursion by capitalism and and his various forces so we uh so the the borders cannot be considered as uh as anything sacred they should be done away with but there has to be the political will to do that and it takes organization and permanent political education in order to bring this about. But the solution is Pan-Africanism, total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. That is the only thing that will defeat the enemies of African Africans and African unity and uh, solve uh, the environmental problems we're confronted with. 
Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Hockey, your response to if we're going to eradicate this illusion of freedom as relates to Africa, we need to address and educate, eliminate the artificial border and have a one unified Africa. So it's Africa. Your response, Brother Hockey. I don't think I don't think borders is necessarily the issue. I think what you have to have is a free flow of of of, of, of individuals who can move from point A to point B without restrictions. I think that's that's more important. I think the borders is just a, just an arbitrary you know construct. It really, it really has no bearing. So I think to the extent that like they're doing in Kenya, trying to trying to open the borders to make sure you know Africans in East Africa community can freely travel. I think that is a route to go. I think to the extent that, you know, um, you know, when we start talking about something like linguistics in terms of language, uh, you know, we've we got to be very honest and understand that when we talk about linguistics in terms of people's perception of, of reality, a lot of it is colored by, by, your, by your language. So in that regard, you know, it's, it's, it, in that regard, it's not easy. So what has to happen, there has to be a political understanding in which the political leaders of Africa make a conscious decision to stress you know, the Africans have to understand that this is a this is a war. It's it's us against it's them against us against them. And if they don't fundamentally understand that, then I think that the, the temptation in terms of believing, you know, that uh that uh, there is no war that's actually going on, I think it's going to it's going to manifest, which means it 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 it, it manifests itself as somehow a, a kind of indifference in terms of the overall exploitation of the African continent. So I think once African leaders get Africans to understand that, listen, irrespective of the language you speak, here's something that you must internalize. We are at war, and we have to act like we're at war. In that, that regard, we have to strengthen all of us, not just any particular group, but has to strengthen all of us. And it's a very difficult thing to do, given the history, uh, you know, in, in the course. You know, uh, much of that is, sounds good, but the bottom line is that unless you do fundamental restructuring of the educational system in Africa like they're doing, like they're doing in South Africa, uh, the reality is that most Africans would not learn African history, uh, the, the irrelevance of African history. As a matter of fact, African leaders tend to set on or to disregard or play down or to hide African history because in order, in order for them to remain in power, they have to teach people, you know, that uh, uh, there is no precedent for them, you know, uh, for them stepping down. And so when, they, so when they want to hold power indefinitely, they create the precedent by, you know, actually, you know, you know, saying to the to the, to the, to the citizenry, you know, what we're doing is, is fine and just. And if people don't have a frame of reference to say, no, it's not fine and just, then they they tend to embrace it. And so that's one of the problems. So I so I think that so if African leaders get that message across that we're at war, and that irrespective of which language you speak, irrespective of the culture, irrespective of traditions, the bottom line is that we're at war. And we have to act like we're at war. So if they can, if they can convey that message, I think Africa will be fine. The borders themselves, I think, is really irrelevant. Whether you remove them or leave them in 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 place, it really doesn't matter. It's all a it's all a social construct. It means nothing, uh, as long as people have free movement, you know, throughout the African continent. Not close. Thank you, brother Haki. I would just like to make the point in terms of the border question. It's a question of we ideologically see ourselves as one. These artificial names does play a role, like you say, language in terms of how we interact with each, each one, one another. So in that sense, I think it would be very crucial for us to look at the bigger picture and understand that regardless of the perception of how we see ourselves, we must see ourselves as one and 
I think you know, we identify ourselves differently and sort of create not the tightness that we need as one. But on that note, we'll take a station break, and when we come back, we have our final thoughts. This is Africa on the Moon, and we're discussing Africa and the illusion of freedom. This is Brother Africa, and we'll be right back, and don't you go nowhere. Welcome to Pilgrim And to the Buffalo Who once ruled a plane Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that Stagger on the coastline In a nation That just can't stand much more Like the forest Buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the hills Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say Save your soul Lord knows from winter in America The Constitution A noble piece of paper with free society The struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner A hope and false rain It's looking like he's a hope and Hope and false rain And I see the robbers First in barren treetops Watching last its races marching across the floor But just like the peace behind that vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the hillers have been killed or betrayed yeah but the people know the people know it's winter Lord knows it's winter 
That's what we've got to do, cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed we need a new beginning let us plant the seed plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. That's right. Palestine needs her freedom and needs our love. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We're closing out today's program. The theme tonight was Africa and the Illusion of Freedom. We ask each one of our political panelists and analysts today to give us two minutes closing on the theme and our final thoughts. We'll start with Sister Eleanor. The, the clock is ticking. Sister Eleanor. Well, thank you for a wonderful show. We focused on five nations. We focused on Mauritania, Chad, Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso. Let me see if I got it right. It was uh, Mauritania, Chad, Niger, Mali, and Burkina Faso, those five countries. If Mali and Burkina Faso could begin to work together and realize how Burkina Faso was used as a port and underdeveloped purposely by the French as a source of labor as well as a a source of uh, export, uh, we would begin to see great growth. And I think that the most important thing that came out of this evening's discussion was the importance of changing the central banking system from a French-owned and operated system to an African-owned and operated system where the currency is produced in Africa, managed in Africa, and owned by Africans. That's an important thing that came out of this evening's conversation as well as the point that the U.N. soldiers or troops are, in fact, Africans that are employed because of the funds, and that the U.N. is a tool, was discussed as a tool of the imperialist nations. 
So with that in mind and the important uh, discovery and awareness of how important cobalt is in um, creating a new environmental um, program where we are not producing uh, or supporting global warming, but we're reducing and stopping all global warming, how important cobalt is to that and what that means to Africa as a continent and to the world as a whole. I'd like to thank you for allowing me to participate in this evening's program. Thank you so very much. And uh, I... uh, look forward to your upcoming programs and thank you to all the uh, fellow analysts and to you brother Africa and to our guests as well have a great um, Black History Month continue to discover and be aware of how great Black Americans were to the development of the United States and to the Americas, and knowledge is power. Thank you so much. Good night. We thank you, Sister Eleanor. We have just heard your perspective and thoughts on this theme tonight. Let's see what Brother Hockey has to say, his final thoughts for tonight on the theme, Africa and the illusion of freedom. Brother Haki. Yeah, Brother Africa. <clears throat> Tonight, you know, we, 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 we talked a lot about, you know, um, in the motherland, Africa. Uh, but I don't want anyone to be um, uh, deceived. It's important that we understand. When we talk about the real, real challenges that are from the African people, it's, it's, it's not just in the continent, it's also in the United States. You know, here recently, the guy... Um, um, send out some information via social media about the Great Replacement, except his Great Replacement had nothing to do in terms of immigrants crossing the border. His Great Replacement was he thought people like people like in Africa, Asia, Central and South America. In other words, his position was that uh, there are simply too many people of color in the world, and that the white race owe it to themselves to do something about that. Well, in a nutshell, what he was intimating is that, you know, uh, when, you, when you talk about oppression and you talk about wholesale destruction and killing of people, you're based upon, you know, nefarious uh, notions of, of race. What he essentially was saying was that all this stuff is justifiable in terms of doing it. And so when we talk about in terms of, you know, justifying destruction of other human beings based upon nefarious notions of, 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 of race, then we also have to incorporate this whole question around uh, economics. So as economics continue to decline in American society, what does that mean for the, for the, for the masses of African and or people of color who, who reside in North America? What does that mean in terms of their lives, their longevity? What, what does that mean? Well, if this guy has his way, his position is that, well, it's very, very clear what has to be done, the elimination of those people who are those people of color who exist in American society. So we got to understand that, you know, even though he might not uh, reflect the, the, the majority of sentiment, but he reflected the sentiment of enough people in American society, which it constitutes a real threat to the to longevity of, 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 of people called of African people, you know, in the society. So we got to work out for us. We have to seriously think about what is going on and how we're going to respond to whatever comes down the road. Uh, you know, I, I say that all the time. You know, um, you know. But in the closing, brother Africa, as always, you know, I encourage people, you know. 
to unravel the matrix. Um, that is key. Uh, despite what we hear on television, this, despite the sports entertainment complex, this, despite all these things that are geared toward distracting us from what's real, we have to stay focused and understand the reality in terms of what's going on in society. And part of understanding what's going on in society is to be able to deconstruct a lot of information that we receive via vis-a-vis the media. Because without a, without an honest uh, and, and without understanding in terms of how to deconstruct uh, a lot of the narratives that come out of the media, then we might find ourselves to see, actually believe in things that are not true, which is tantamount to setting us up, you know, for whatever whatever uh, 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 hardship comes our way. Uh, so clearly we have to understand that when we talk about American society, we have to understand the implicit nature of the deception that exists in society and because this deception is an intimate part of America, then we got to understand in order to clearly understand what they're doing and why they're doing it, then we have to read. That's a requirement, and we have to encourage our children to read without without question. And with that, you have a good night. We'd like to thank you, Haki, for your presentation and final thoughts and give you a perspective on this theme tonight, Africa and the Illusion of Freedom. We will now have Brother Anthony's kind of thoughts and his perspective on the theme tonight, and we'll bring in Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Thanks, Brother Africa, for having me tonight. And uh, thank you. Uh, uh, thanks uh, to the fellow panelists and our guests tonight and the listening audience. Uh, I want to uh, conclude by uh, by saying that Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, is the solution uh, to the problem of the illusion of freedom. With Pan-Africanism, we can make that a reality. Uh, but it takes organization of the masses of our people. So uh, I, I encourage all Africans to enjoy, to join an organization that is working for people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. You can find out more about us and our objective by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. You can find out more about our history, objective, and program, and uh, and uh, some of the uh, historical figures we have been influenced by, such as Kwame Nkrumah, Ahmed Sekretore, and Kwame Ture, uh, foremost uh, uh, practitioners of our ideology in Nkrumah Tureism, which, uh, which you, you can also find out more about by visiting our website as well. And... Uh, we uh we we must be better organized as a people than we are right now that's the only way we can defeat all enemies of the african revolution 
Thank you for having me. Good night. We thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contributions to today's program and your thoughts. In closing out this program, as we talk about Africa and illusion of freedom, I would like to just highlight two particular quotes. The first one by Patrice Lumumba that typifies this importance, the importance of understanding that you know, this illusion of freedom needs to be eradicated. And we can understand that illusion of freedom by understanding it in this context of this quote. He says that the colonists care nothing for Africa for her own sake. They are attracted by African riches, and their actions are guided by the desire to preserve their interests in Africa against the wishes of African people. That was Patrice Lumumba of the Democratic Republic of Ghana. And this quote by Julius Zanire of Tanzania, he stated that capitalism means that the masses will work and a few people who may not labor at all will benefit from their work. The few will sit down to a banquet and the masses will eat whatever is left over. Look at those two particular um, statements. That's why it's important for us to deal with the reality of our situation and understand it and recognize when we think and function as one, all things are possible. Africa will be free, unified, and socialist. Until next time, you have been listening to Africa on Move as host by the Africa. Let's continue to strive to go forward with our Falcons Double. This has been Africa on the Move.
Nothing ever changes Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth Filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see 
made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
breathing life for the creation of man. Holding treasures of beauty given for all. The African dream that touches the Africa is where